We're in the middle of like a fourth letter to the church that was at Corinth. It's actually labeled 2 Corinthians because there's a couple letters that we know about but we don't have in the Bible. So we're in the middle of 2 Corinthians, and what Paul is doing is you have to understand that there's a bunch of false teachers that have come behind and are messing with what Paul's original unique message was. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to say there are false teachers, there are what we call Judaizers. Judaizers are those that say, Paul's not telling the whole story, you still need to be circumcised, you still need to follow the law, you still need to do this and that, and he's not the real deal. And so he's trying to teach this church at Corinth what authentic ministry looks like. I should really just stop right now and talk about all the ministry that happens in this room. Because literally when I stand here and I look, I see authentic ministry take place in the lives of you, which is a very cool thing. And so here we are, we're in the middle of 2 Corinthians, we're in chapter 4, and let's get into it today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we're shown mercy, we do not give up. We do not give up. Now you have to remember, Paul is in Macedonia, but before that he was in Ephesus, and there was this huge brawl that happened in Ephesus. And Paul was like in the middle of it, and he literally thought that he was going to die. He thought physically, I'm in trouble. But he got out, went to Troas, and he's got this great ministry that's happened in Troas, and he's left, and now he is in Macedonia where he's writing this letter. Now, he says we have this ministry. Here's what you need to know about Paul. He wasn't eloquent with his words. He'll even tell you that. Wasn't a great speaker or anything. Didn't have the abilities. I believe that he was called, but he wasn't necessarily appointed, unless you're going to say that he was appointed to teaching and reaching the Gentiles, those who weren't Jews. And he definitely didn't have the financial support because he was a tent maker. He had to, like, make his own money. So when he said he had this ministry, it was because of what? It was because of mercy that God gave him this ministry. And it's his for the purpose of Jesus Christ. He was shown mercy on the road to Damascus when he was literally, I mean, he was the Pharisee that was killing Christians. And all of a sudden, on this road, Jesus changed his whole life. So now the Pharisee who was killing Christians has become a Christian and he's trying to reach people, even the Jews, his own brothers, he's trying to reach for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 2 it says, Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. Once again, right here, he is discrediting the false teachers. 
He's like, you can see very clearly what they're doing. They're coming in and they're asking for support. They're asking for finances. They're doing all sorts of things that you don't see us doing. There's a difference between what we're doing and what they are doing. Their ministry is more about them. Our ministry is about Jesus. If it's anything other than Jesus, you need to be careful. You need to be warned. If it's about them, you could be in trouble. If it's about Jesus, listen up. Paul's speaking about credibility for a reason. He wants the church at Corinth to understand, look, we're legit, and what we're saying to you is the real deal. Verse 3 says, But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, what Jeff was saying when up when he was up here praying is that you're redeemed. You're redeemed. Here's what redeems you. The only thing that redeems you is because you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for your sins, his blood was poured out. That was it. You, If you believe that, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sins, you're redeemed. You may not understand that right now. I get it. You may not. You, that may be the foundation. The very first thing is you need to understand you're forgiven. <laughs> I mean, that's what Jesus did on the cross. It says right here, it's about those who are veiled. That's the unbelievers. What Jesus did on the cross when his blood was poured out was he died for all sin, all the way from Adam all the way to the end of time. He died for all sin except for one. That's the sin of unbelief. If you don't believe, then you have this veil over your eyes and you can't see the truth. If you're redeemed, you're forgiven, the veil has been removed, and the things that I'm saying to you, you may be hearing for the first time today, but I believe that you're capable of understanding it, that the veil has been removed. There's a spirit living inside of you that would cause you to understand what I'm saying today, that you could hear it and not only hear it, but go, okay, this makes sense to me. Think about it. One of the best ploys of the evil one, and he calls it the God of this age. The best ploys of the evil one is to convince the world that there's no absolute truth, right? We're, we're living in a generation where everybody's writing their own narrative. This is what I believe is true. In fact, they'll even take the Bible and they'll say, I believe this part is true. I don't believe this part is true. I believe this part is true. I don't believe this part is true. We're literally living in an age where everyone, through social networking, through tweets and Facebook and posts and blogs, they're 
stating their opinions and they're writing their own narrative and making that their truth. This is what the truth is. So why wouldn't the evil one do that in the church as well? Why wouldn't he just say, hey, whatever they're teaching, whether it's false or true, it's true. Why? I truly believe the world doesn't want what the church is selling because it's not just about Jesus Christ. It's about so much more. To come in, to come in and to give us your 10%, your offerings, your tithes, for you to get involved in ministry and do this and do that and plug you in and do all these things. And Okay, that sounds good. Sounds good, but is it truth? Is it truth? Is it, is it biblical? The, the church has a huge part of this issue. If it's based upon their own selves and their own ministry rather than that of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, be careful. Verse 5 says, For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul constantly is indicating the things that they have occurred in his ministry It was never based upon what he did, but what Jesus was doing through him. It's the same thing Jesus did when he was here on earth. Jesus did all these miracles that you know about, but what Jesus said very clearly is, you saw me do these great things, but I wasn't the one doing it. It was my Father in me doing it. And that's the same thing we can say right here is like, these conversations and these things that happen within this ministry, if it's, if it's based upon my opinions and my own thoughts, then you're in trouble. But if it's based upon the Spirit inside of me and the Spirit working through us, I'd probably listen. Paul's foundation of ministry is absolutely based upon Jesus, and he's letting them know it. Verse 6, it says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. I can produce the numbers. I can get people to say a prayer of salvation. I can manipulate people to get them. I can be a great salesman of the gospel. There are ministries that actually survive on that standard right there. Now, I can say that because I've, I've done that. I'm not excited to share that with you, but I've done that. Now, I, I can't say that those prayers didn't mean anything. I can't judge a person's heart. That's not my deal. That's the, the Lord's deal. But... You know, I used to feel this pressure, and it was basically what I was taught in seminary and church to sit by somebody uh, on the plane and witness to them. You know what I'm talking about? Like to go on a ski trip and get a kid in a ski lift, and you have this captive audience for three minutes and get the gospel to them and get them to say a prayer before they get off the ski lift. I was good at that. I could do it. 
But then you, you get to the, the point where you understand, I'm not the one that's responsible for saving people. It's the Holy Spirit that's responsible for saving people. That I can literally sit next to a kid in a ski lift and have a great conversation with them, get to know them, and maybe they want to have a conversation with me later. And I can share the gospel with them because it's naturally what I do, and all the pressure is off of me to getting them saved. It's just a matter of the Holy Spirit doing it. And I'm telling you, it's a lot more fun that way than the pressure of trying to get somebody to produce numbers. And this is really what Paul is saying here. It's not my deal. It's the Lord's deal to save them. I'm just supposed to naturally be a light in the darkness. If they can see the glory of God in me, maybe they will desire to hear what I want to share with them. And then uh, he jumps a little bit in verse 7. He says, Now we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. You read that verse, and all your life you've focused on the clay jars. The clay jars were what they used to carry water or food and things like this. And it was, it was either like your Tupperware or your red Solo cups. They were somewhat disposable. If they broke, it wasn't that big of a deal because jars of clay were readily available, but they were very fragile. They would break all the time. And so they would just get more jars of clay. But don't focus on the clay jars. Read that sentence. Now we have this treasure in clay jars. Focus on the treasure. The treasure is what it's all about. The treasure is the good news. The treasure is the gospel. The treasure is that Jesus did die for your sins, that he came here and died and rose again so that you can have life here on this earth. That's the treasure. That's the treasure in the... We are the jars of clay. We're easily broke. This flesh suit is easily broken. But inside of me, inside of me, there's this treasure that wants to get out and wants to be shared and wants to. It's a great treasure. Yeah, this thing's going to like break eventually and it's going to be gone and return back to clay. But the treasure keeps going on and on. We're simply fragile vessels to carry the good news. Verse 8, it says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Some of you in this room, including myself, need to hear this. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. And we are struck down, but not destroyed. You see, he's literally saying our flesh suits, these things that are bodies, they're the clay jars. We become broken, sometimes even shattered. And many times... uh, we're able to be glued back together and used again. He's saying we can suffer physically, 
but it still doesn't stop us from living the good that Jesus has given to us. I don't understand why things happen like they do. But I have faith that keeps me from giving up on life. We can be hated. We can be isolated. But we always know that He's with us. We can come to the end of ourselves and know that there's still hope. Paul just said all these things to the church to encourage them. Verse 10, he says, We always carry the death of Jesus in our body. Sounds weird. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. Paul literally says right here, I'm willing to sacrifice his earth suit for the ability to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. If If it means me dying, and literally he's put his life on the line many times, he's been shipwrecked, he's been thrown overboard, he's like, all these, he's been beaten several times. I, I, I'm, I'm willing to do it for the gospel. Verse 12, it says, So then death is at work in us, but life in you. He's saying we may suffer, we may even die, but it is for the purpose of finding eternal life. It is a good thing. <laughs> uh, I in my uh, in the office, chaplain's office at the police department, I have swords on the wall and posters on the wall from movies because it represents good and evil. And one of those is one of my favorite movies is Braveheart. It's got this huge sword. But on that poster it says, every man dies, but not every man lives. Like, in the midst of my grief, in the midst of your grief, we still have life. How how do we have life? Because of what Jesus did for us and the good news of that. And because that, Jesus, Jesus literally says, Rusty, let me live your life for you. When you, when you, can't do it anymore, just let me do it. And that, my friends, is what we call the abundant life. When I can literally sit back and rest, and when I say sit back and rest, I'm not talking about physically all the time. Sometimes I'm nonstop in my conversations, in my meetings, in my things to do. But if I can sit back and rest and trust that He's going to do it in me, that's when I have life. That's when I have life. Verse 13, it says, And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, what is written, he quotes Psalm 116.10. He says, I believe, therefore I spoke. Psalm 116.10 says, I believed even when I said I'm severely oppressed. David's saying, even though I'm down and out, 
I believed and I spoke up. Even when I was at my worst, I still had the ability to speak. And Paul's saying the the same thing. We also believe and therefore we speak. (laughs) It, It may seem as though I have nothing and suffered much, which is true. But I have also much more to, to actually see. There's like things that out there that I haven't yet experienced. And I want to tell you about it. Verse 14, it says, For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. This is when we are done with these earth suits, these jars of clay, and we have our own glorified bodies. Verse 15, he says, Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Thanksgiving, that the timing, right? Did anybody ask you this week what you were thankful for? I mean, you were probably asked that question. I'm assuming that you were asked that question. But what does he say here? As grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase. (laughs) What this community right here needs is more grace, right? What this community right here needs is more grace. I believe that our mayor spoke for the city of Fishers, the state of the address, and the one thing that he said that came out in the article was that mayor was asking for more grace to be given. More grace to be given. We can go down that cancel culture path and it's going to isolate people. It's going to cause people to be angry. It's going to cause people to give up. And we have a lot less to be thankful for. You see, our society wants justice more than they do grace. And those people who are calling for justice at some point are going to need grace. Trust me, at some point, everybody here needs grace. And he's saying, give more grace. If more grace is extended, we have a lot more to be thankful for. If you can experience grace, if you can give grace in your own families, if you can give grace in your own jobs, if you can give grace in your own community, people have much more to be thankful for. Verse 16, Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. It gets harder and harder for me to do things every year. I just put up Christmas lights outside and it got harder and harder. This body is giving up. 
I'm sitting here in December going, oh, I got to do the ski trip this next year with these kids. 32 years of doing ski trips. You know, when it gets like 10 degrees outside, I do not get on that ski lift. It has to be a nice sunshiny day for me to get out there now because it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder. My, I, Look, I'm on the 14th hole. I've only got like four holes left. And I'm done. And that's literally what Paul's saying here. Answering the phone to whatever's on the other side, it gets harder. It gets harder. But every day, every day I have this inner motivation that wakes my soul to the daily adventure of it. Yeah, I'll go skiing. Yeah, I'll answer the phone. Yeah, I'll sit across from that family. I'll sit across from my friend who's hurting. I know in the midst of hard work and the hopelessness in this world that there will be opportunity to talk about Jesus. I believe it. So there's this inside of me, this spirit that's saying, get up. Every day, the spirit inside of me, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, gets me out of bed and says, you got an adventure plan for you today. I don't know what it is. That's one of the joys of my, my ministry is I don't have a lot of programs going on, so I'm available for the adventure. I, I walk into meetings with people and have no idea what's going to happen. I have no idea what the next phone call, the next text message, the next email is going to include, but I trust the Spirit inside of me that He's going to take care of it. Verse 17, he says, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. <laughs> it, just in light here, if I'm going to go to Orlando, I can fly Spirit Airlines for 40 bucks instead of a $400 on a big jet airliner. I could sit in a cardboard box for two hours. Then, then I save enough money to have like Mickey Mouse ice cream every day. <laughs> Temporary affliction. I, I don't mean to compare Mickey Mouse ice cream with incomparable eternal weight of glory there. But momentary light affliction. Yeah, I'm looking at a room full of people that are dealing with momentary light affliction. I'm going to Denver Thursday to be with my family and memorialize my brother. It's temporary light affliction. For what I know is to come. The good news, the gospel, everything that Paul's talking about here. So we get down to the last verse. He says, verse 18. So we don't 
focus. We do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know that the world's focus is on what is seen. Prove to me by showing me. I have to see it if I'm going to believe it. But there's this real world, this eternal, everlasting life that is based upon faith alone. I believe it with all my heart. I believe it. This is temporary. This. My wife is temporary. I'm glad that we are journeying together on this earth together for the rest of our physical life here. But when we get to heaven, we're no longer husband and wife. Oh, we'll be there together. It's going to look a little different. She's my chosen one right now. But again, this is temporary. I have to think about what's eternal, what's forever. Look, if you have no faith, then this word of God is written by men. If you have faith, this word of God is written by God through faithful men. That's the difference. The world looks at this and goes, oh, a bunch of men wrote this thing. It's, it's, not, it's full of error. And I'm like, no, it's the word of God. It's written by God through faithful men. He did it. It is the ability to see things from a spiritual perspective rather than a human perspective. That's, that's, that's it right there. Can you see things from a spiritual perspective rather than a human perspective? Can you see these things? It takes more for a person to believe in faith than it does for a person to believe out of sight. Greater are you in this room because you believe what you cannot see. It's simple if you can see it. It's simple. But it takes faith. Like, you cannot escape this world without suffering. Even Jesus said, you're going to suffer. And if that's all you see, if that's all you see is your suffering, then you miss the glory that is all around you. Christ in us is the joy of a fallen world. (laughs) Did you hear that? Christ in us is the joy of a fallen world. Christ in us is the hope. We're the hope for dying people. They're literally spiritually dying all around us, and we may be the hope because of Christ in us. Christ in us is the light for a dark world. It is dark out there, people, and you are the light. He made you the light. Christ in us is the glory for a world that is killing each other. We're literally killing each other, and setting records on a daily basis. 
Christ in us is the answer for the people who are searching. They're literally searching, and we want to give them programs. When he's literally saying, no, it's Christ in us. It's Christ in us. Just go out in the world and be a light. You hear me say all the time, stay focused. Stay focused. Stay focused on what? Paul's saying, stay focused on the unseen. The unseen is what's eternal. You stay focused on the stuff that's going on right here, you're in trouble. Stay focused on what is unseen. Stay focused on Jesus. It's the only agenda I have. There's nothing more important. Jesus, I trust today that the Spirit that is in this room in each of the lives here is allowing them to see how much you love them as we sing, how much you care about them by speaking to them this morning, how much you love them by encouraging them in their grief. how much you want to live their life for them and for me. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.